Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As I stated at the beginning of the service, our, our sermon theme for the last couple of weeks and into the next few weeks is called Bridge Builders. And we're looking at another facet today of building bridges and how Jesus uses the story of the Good Shepherd to remind us that love reaches out a hand. Maybe something similar to this has happened to you in your life. It was a couple of weeks ago and I was speaking with someone I had never met before and we were chatting a little bit and of course, it inevitably came around to, well, well, what do you do? What's your job? What kind of profession do you have? And when I told the person that I was a minister, he said, you don't look like a minister. And I wondered to myself, well, what am I supposed to look like? What is a minister supposed to look like? And I thought about that a lot when I thought, well, what would people say if we asked a question similar but even maybe a little bit more pointed? What does a Christian look like? What if after church today we would all take a walk down State Street and interview about, oh, a dozen people each and, and talk to them about what words would come to mind, what words come to mind when they hear the word Christian? What kind of responses do you think you would get? I'll tell you what, we're going we're gonna to try this just a little bit. I'd love for you to talk to people who are sitting close to you and just come up with a word or two that you think someone might respond to you if you simply went up to them and said, what comes to your mind when you hear the word Christian? Go ahead. You can talk. All right, do we have any brave souls that would like to volunteer what they talked about in their little group? A word that you think you might hear if somebody said, if you said to somebody, what do you think of when you hear the word Christian? Anyone want to volunteer something? Otherwise, I'm going to give you all my answers and that's no fun. Go ahead, Grant. Self-righteous, okay? I think that would be a word that you might hear. Okay? Anyone else? Backwards, Okay. Okay, this is so interesting. First service had all of the positive things. They were like, Jesus, church. And then finally somebody said, oh, judgmental maybe a little bit, maybe a hypocritical occasionally. Right? Don't you think you'd get a mixed bag? Depending on what person, a person's experience was with the Christian. But could I say this? Even if there are a few responses that might be backwards or judgmental, is that maybe a, a call for us to say, are we building the bridges that we want to be building with the lives that God gives us here in this world? And Jesus does a masterful job as the master teacher in his parable of the Good Samaritan of reminding us what it is to have a heart for other people, to live with the same love that Jesus has demonstrated to us first. And so today as we walk through this familiar parable, let's do it un, un, under the theme Oops, I forgot to put that one up there, what a Christian looks like. How about that? I got so carried away. Reach out a hand is what we're going to talk about today. And first of all, we're going to note as Jesus speaks to the expert in the law that this reaching out a hand is not done somehow to earn something from God. It's not something that we can do to earn favor with God, not to earn anything, but to love as we have been loved, as we have been loved first. I know you're probably familiar with the parable. You've probably heard it before. We read it just a few moments ago. But I want to review the background just for a brief moment again because that background to the parable is so important to understanding why Jesus told it. 
So let's take a look at what Luke says in chapter 10. We'll hit some selected verses here. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Then the man answered, love God and love your neighbor. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That was the catalyst for why Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here's something I find pretty amazing about the idea of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It has come into the vernacular of our entire world, hasn't it? That idea that, that this Good Samaritan is part of what we do. And, and maybe it's just because Jesus tells such a poignant story. This expert, this teacher in the law shows up and he wants to see what Jesus is going to say. If you read through the Gospels, what you'll recognize is there's a tension. A tension that's building between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. And this tension has demonstrated itself in some of the questions that people have asked of Jesus. Tests that the chief priests and the teachers of the law have tried to make Jesus look bad by asking certain questions. Is that what this expert is there doing? The text doesn't tell us, but it certainly fits the mold of what the religious leaders of the day were trying to accomplish. And he asks Jesus a question. He wants to know, this expert, what he must do to be inheriting eternal life. Now, if you think about what this expert in the law would have been about, he most likely was someone who knew the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses, inside and out. He could have probably told you what every single word said in that law of Moses and then given you the proper explanation that the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, had come up with. So he wants to see what Jesus is going to say when he asks that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Is it okay for me to say it's kind of the same question we started the sermon with? What does a Christian look like? What does it mean to inherit eternal? What am I supposed to look like? What is my life supposed to be? It becomes apparent, doesn't it, that this man isn't looking for Jesus' answer to that question as much as he's looking for assurance from Jesus that he's on the right path, that he's doing the right things. And so Jesus masterfully turns the question around on him by asking his own question, how do you read the law? What's in it? And the man answers, Jesus himself says, correctly. He answers, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do that and you'll live. You're there. You're almost at the doorstep. But really, he wasn't even close. And the man knew it. And that's why he wanted to justify himself. He was not satisfied with Jesus' answer. And so he goes one step further and says to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? You see, he had a false sense of security, thinking that, that he was good enough to stand before God. And so he wanted Jesus to define very narrowly what that meant to be a neighbor. Again, that idea that Good Samaritan being so common in our world today, I think you probably know that there are hospitals named Good Samaritan hospitals. Do you know that most states have what are called Good Samaritan laws that protect you if you help other people? And it happens more regularly than sometimes I even realize. But if someone is featured in a news story and they help someone, they go out of their way to help somebody else, inevitably they're going to be called 
a good Samaritan. It makes me wonder, does everybody who uses that phrase, good Samaritan, know where the story comes from? Are they just familiar with the story in general or do they know that it's a parable that Jesus actually taught? And the beauty of that parable is that Jesus knows how to tell a story that hits pretty close to home, doesn't he? He knows how to elicit emotion in people as they read these stories, but that finally isn't the only purpose for Jesus telling the story. He wants people to see truths, truths about ourselves and even more truths about the love of our Savior. You know how easily Jesus sets this story up. The man falls into the hands of robbers. He's beaten up and he's laying on the side of the road and, and Jesus highlights two polar opposite reactions to the man in need. Listen again to verses 31 to 33. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Again, the parable is very easy to understand, very straightforward, and it's very relatable. We can understand somebody being in deep need, and we can understand the different reactions of people thinking, well, I can't get involved, or I'm too busy, or I got to get to my next appointment, or whatever it is, and passing by on the other side. The interesting thing about Jesus' parable is who? the people are that are passing by. To any Jewish person who is listening to Jesus' parable, the telling of the parable, the priest and the Levite, those are the good guys. Those are the guys that are the religious leaders of the day. Those are the guys that should be aware of their responsibility to someone in need. But they do nothing. They pass by on the other side. They avoid the situation entirely. Not so the Samaritan. And, and here's where the whole story hinges. Because if you use the terms as Jesus used them here in the parable, among Jewish people of Jesus' day, and you would use this term, good Samaritan, that would have been considered an oxymoron. There was no such thing to the Jewish way of thinking as a good Samaritan. And the opposite was true too. There was simply no love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans. They distrusted each other. They disliked each other. And the fact that Jesus uses a Samaritan to be the example of what it is to be a neighbor would have been shocking to those who heard it. But look at what the Samaritan does. He puts himself in the place of the person who is laying at the side of the road. He takes pity on him. He sees the need and thinks, what if that were me? And that's what guides his actions. He not only dresses the man's wounds and puts him on his own donkey, he takes him to an inn, he covers all of the expenses that the man's going to have to the point that he is willing to give even more if necessary. I'll settle up with you when I come back if there's more expenses that need to be covered. In short, that Samaritan man demonstrated the kind of love that Jesus is teaching here in this parable. That's it. That's the whole parable. But what comes next is what really hits home. Jesus asks a question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It was a pretty easy answer, wasn't it? 
for the expert in the law to come up with? I mean, three people were involved, one, one man on the side of the road, two of those three people passed by, and then the third one is the one who had mercy on him. That story, again, hits a lot closer to home than we would like. Because Jesus' next words to the expert in the law when he chooses correctly, go and do likewise, those aren't words that are just meant for the ears of the expert in the law. Those words echo down through the centuries and reverberate to us still today. Do they sting a little bit? When you hear Jesus say to you, go and do likewise, when Jesus says to you and me, be selfless, look out for others, live with other people in mind, it does hit a little close to home, doesn't it? Don't we know just how possessive we are of our own time, of our own resources, how often we are stingy with love in our hearts? How often we're the priest and the Levite who pass by on the other side of the road when we see someone in need. I suppose it shouldn't surprise us that we're like that because being selfless is unnatural. Thinking of other people before I think of myself doesn't come easily to me because my way of thinking is me first and others second. And so when Jesus tells this parable, yes, it, it hits a little bit close to home because we don't think this way normally. But then, as we look a little bit deeper into the parable, can't we also relate to the person who's laying on the side of the road? Isn't that us? Beat up by our sins, helpless, unable to do anything to make ourselves right before God? We needed a good Samaritan, someone who wouldn't pass us by, someone who would take up our cause. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came to this earth and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't pay for our needs with coins, but with his holy precious blood. And by his wounds, you and I are healed. All of those sins are washed away because Jesus went to the cross for us. Jesus satisfied God's justice and provides everything that we need. And now Jesus teaches this parable to say, remember my love for you. And then let that love that I've demonstrated to you flow through your life. Whatever it takes, Jesus was willing to do. And whatever opportunities he places in front of us, we want to re reflect that love of Jesus in our love for other people. Jesus is simply teaching us to open our eyes, to look around, to see where there is someone in need, someone that we can show the love of Jesus to by using the blessings that God has given us. We read it a little bit before, but the Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 6, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. A couple things to take away from the sermon today. Number one, any efforts to earn our salvation will only fall short. Paul says it so simply in Romans chapter 6, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Number two, Jesus rescued us from sin as the perfect example of love. So the 
Ephesians, Paul wrote this, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Finally, number three, Jesus' love for us opens our eyes to the opportunities to love others. As he was speaking with his disciples on Monday, Thursday in the upper room, Jesus, just a few hours before his death, said this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. I don't know how often you fulfill the assignments that I give you, but I have another assignment for you this week. Here's the good news. You don't have to report back to me. I'm not going to grade it. Or maybe you could just say I grade it on the curve, something like that. But here's your assignment for this week. Will you find at least one person in the week ahead that you can be a neighbor to? That, that you can find to say, how can I use the gifts that God has given me to serve someone else who's in need? It can be simple. For a student, it might be simply helping somebody study for a test, tutoring someone who needs some help in a, in a subject. Maybe it's helping a neighbor with a project. Maybe it's giving a gift to someone who is hard on their luck. But think of the blessings that God has given you and then how you can use those to be a neighbor to others. I suppose if we ask that question again, what does it mean to be a Christian? It's not really what Jesus is teaching in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Instead, I think we'd have to say this, Jesus is teaching us what love looks like. See, love doesn't, doesn't matter to love who you voted for. It doesn't matter what social and, or economic situation you are in in life. No, love just sees a need and then acts. Or as the Apostle Paul wrote it in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. When you hear that section from 1 Corinthians 13, those beautiful words, there is really only one love that can match up to what Paul is writing there. And it's the love that we see in Jesus as he went to the cross for us. That's the purest form of love that has ever been offered in this world. It's Jesus' sacrifice for us. Jesus reached out his hand, stretched them out on the cross to pay for our sins. And he rose again to guarantee our eternity with him. Now in that love that Jesus had for us, he empowers us to look for opportunities to love each other, to reach out our hands, to be a neighbor to others, and love as Jesus loved us first. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.